Hello and welcome to the Total Quidditch podcast, a place where we talk to the people who make Quidditch what it is and give an opportunity to share their stories and experiences of the sport. I'm Fraser and I'll be your host. This week's episode is a bit different to our usual episodes of the podcast because competitor Quidditch is back in the UK. Hashtag reboot Quidditch. In July, Jurassic Cup was the first tournament back following over a year of lockdown due to the coronavirus pandemic. Since then, we've had South Coast Cup and coming up this weekend, the first ever Quidditch UK Community League fixture is taking place in Derby. With this in mind, we thought it'd be good to focus on UK Quidditch for an episode, see where things are heading into the weekend. Joining me on the pod today are two people who know a fair amount about Quidditch. Here with me, I have Jay Holmes, the former Team UK head coach and his successor, head coach of the newly rebranded Team England, Alice Walker. Welcome, guys. How's it going? Hello, Fraser. It's lovely to be here. I think I'm. I think my official title now is washed up. Like I'm. I'm literally nothing anymore. <laughs> I, I feel like one of those like old footballers who who still goes on match of the day or Sky Sports <laughs> to, to pretend that they're still relevant. And you well, know, this is like the match of the day for Quidditch, isn't it? Yeah. Cena? <laughs> and like dude, Alice is going to start laying into me about my career and like you'll you'll start calling me washed but I'm ready for it it'll be nice to, to you know give unfiltered opinions because I was I was so good at keeping a lid on that uh, <laughs> beforehand look forward to it Jay does himself a disservice there um yeah we obviously we had our first uh team England training over the weekend um, and he was a great water boy. I don't know what he's talking about. For, no, I'm joking. He's, he's been fantastic. Um, Thanks, Joe Specialist. Yeah, the, the official title. Um, but no, Jay, Jay set team, well, UK at the time, but England now on a great path. Um, man, lo- man knows a lot about Quidditch. So, um, yeah, looking forward to being um, being here and uh, disagreeing with everything he says. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. I must say... Uh, this is probably the least prepared podcast we've had so far um, for TQP, but uh, we'll see where it goes. It's just some people having a chat about Quidditch and hopefully getting ourselves excited and, yeah, everyone else excited for the weekend. That's it. <laughs> but so looking back uh, to start off with, Jurassic Cup was the first tournament back in the UK just a few weeks ago. And, yeah, we were all, all three of us were there. Uh, so what... What are overall thoughts of the event and kind of, yeah, what was the experience like as a whole? Um, I'm, I might be biased as I ran the tournament. Um, <laughs> but I, I thought it was a lovely day out. Um, no, so I was um, I was really like apprehensive um, in the run up to it. Like I, I knew for like the last big impact I was going to have on Quidditch, I wanted it to be an event that I was going to be proud of and that delivered on all the things that I complained about um, for years in Quidditch. Um, it getting delayed uh, was a bit of a pain, but I think the actual event ran um, really, really well. Like I was really pleased with how everyone was. I thought the standard of gameplay was a, a lot higher uh, than I was expecting it to be. I think it was really clear that some people hadn't played for months and it was abundantly clear some people hadn't like thrown or caught a ball um for a long time but i thought the games were interesting like apart from my team and even even with my team like no team just shellacked or got shellacked um by everyone else um which was cool and it was nice to see some some innovation in the rules like those are rules that i've wanted for a while um and i thought they all worked really well and i think people seem to enjoy playing but it was just nice for for a bit of atmosphere like i'm sure alice will agree like that brooms up on that first game even though it was immediately with two yellow cards which was possibly, <laughs> possibly the moment of the event. but like the the atmosphere from the crowd and the players you were all like yeah this is this is what we've been missing and i think a lot of people like including myself that that rag on quidditch all the time once the game started playing and you're watching people and sitting with your mates, having a laugh, talking about the teams, like, oh, who did you pick for your fantasy team? That that was a really incredible feeling. And I think a really fun way to to reboot Quidditch. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think I think a lot of I agree with a lot of that. I think getting a first look at some of the rules changes. Obviously, we had a set of rules announced for a season that never happened. And then we got some UK amendments on top of that. <laughs> and we just hadn't seen any of them with, you know, people had talked a bit about what they'd look like, um, maybe tried them out in a training. But actually getting to see that was really interesting, like the new brooms up. Um, and yeah, that excitement, as Jay said, was just having the fantasy Quidditch did mean, you know, crowd a bit more invested. But I think even just on a club level, watching your teammates, we've not had a tournament yet where you're playing with your teammates and being able to watch them because you're not on their their team for the cup was was honestly just great as well. Watching people who you're normally too busy playing to watch and training and going, oh, cracking, this year's going to be great. Um, and having that as well was, was really nice. Um, and yeah, I think the caliber for a fantasy tournament was super high. Like uh, generally fantasy tournaments, they take up a weekend that for the top players in UK Quidditch don't have time for and not in a massively big headed way, but in a people having to try and afford EQC or EG, getting weekends off work, things like that. Fantasy tournaments are the, some of the first ones to go. Um, and so the quality of fantasy tournaments had been going down a little bit, as in they'd been fantastic, really great for people, would 100% recommend people going to them. But this one reminded me a lot more of like Valentine's 2015, when you have like Etienne and Lucy beating against Louis and um, I don't know who else you had, but it was, you're just inc like having more of those top players and really enjoying watching those clashes. Like the the beaters um, on e each team had like a pair of Team UK beaters. Um, even Jay's team, who had Ed, Hull and Lauren beating. They're all the uh, Team UK <laughs> players in there. Yep. <laughs> but no, like the, and that quality, I've not been to a fantasy tournament where every game I've gone, oh, <laughs> about the teams, that, the, the beaters that I'm lining up against. So like, the quality was really high. I think as well, I, I was hoping personally, like it sets a new precedent for what Merc and fantasy tournaments can be like in the UK. Like I had a big discussion with Raptors about the price point and like is £45 too much? Is £30 for a jersey too much? But then I think once people saw like the scaffolding and the game footage that's been released and like the quality of the venue being able to camp there was, you know, somewhere to get food, somewhere for the social. Like, I'm hoping we're moving towards a point where people are willing to to pay an extra couple of quid to have a really decent tournament. Because I remember, like, back in today, paying 20 quid for, like, a Merc event and people being like, this is extortionate. And you're standing in a public field and that's, that's what you're paying 20 quid for. Because I'm hoping we move towards people, you know, seeing the weekend as not just the games, but like the whole event itself. And if we can get some more money into fantasy events as well, that, that can only be good for the community because it helps to showcase, you know, the new up and coming players. It gives scouts another place to look outside of club. And I, I, I just think, you know, a really well-run fantasy event is only for the benefit of the game, which I hope Jurassic uh, Cup was for people. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I think, as Alice said, like with some of the kind of top end players kind of having different priorities over the years, kind of what we expect from a fantasy tournament has changed. Um, and I think with this one kind of being the first one back and like so much investment from so many top level players, I think, yeah, it really kind of shows that if you put the effort in to make the tournament not just like, the playing side of it but also the experience as a whole sort of the, the off-pitch stuff the social the food that you provide uh the footage pay, paying referees a certain amount of money like all of this builds up and creates one event that people will remember for a while i'd tell you now fraser 2023 the homes cup <laughs> I'm, I'm it's coming it's coming homes cup it is, it is going to happen when I've made my fortune in China. The, the Homes Cup post-World Cup event. That's what everyone needs to prepare themselves for. I've seen the spreadsheet. It's pretty impressive. It's going to blow minds. It's going to blow minds, Fraser. That's an exclusive for you, mate. My, my leaving gift to you. <laughs> Much appreciated. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think it was a kind of a strange... Uh, mix of things Jurassic Cup as a whole because obviously it's the first tournament back 
and there's kind of all this anticipation of wanting to play again. Um, and you got the fancy points, and you got kind of the whole way the tournament was organized. And then, yeah, just purely like I know myself, I was incredibly rusty. Um, like it was really weird playing contact footage again. Like yeah. I know in rap training, we've been playing like rap Quidditch, where if you like rap someone for like two, three seconds, it's a turnover. So like actually having someone, a rather large person running at you and going, oh, wait, I've got to try and stop this person by taking to the ground. That took a little while getting used to. Um, but also, yeah, having everything properly recorded and filmed. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a, a strange mix of things. <laughs> I think as well, like you, you forgot about the level as well, because I'm so used to playing club events and I'm sure, you know, you two are the same where you sort of rightly or wrongly assume that everyone has played before and like it's quite good. And then I think Jurassic Cup had a big split, but I remember playing one game and doing like the, the classic Jay Holmes decking a small woman to, to feel more masculine. And after the game, someone being like, you do realise that's the first game she's ever played and you've just absolutely lit her up. And I was like, oh, my God, the the, the legacy's tarnished. And they were like, <laughs> I'm really happy it was you because it was a quality tackle. And she says she felt really safe in it. And I was like, oh, like we're, we're still at the level now where new people are playing events. And I think that's something that, that's really, really cool. And I'm glad Jurassic had some of these newer people at it so they could have an expectation of how good Quidditch could be and not necessarily new as in just like brand new player but also new to like maybe uh the community scene or new to you know trying to play at a more competitive level um and I think that was really awesome that Jurassic wasn't just you know but by standards Alice would be fairly like a young player if it was just me Lucy Luke all having a go knocking each other about and it's like I, I was really happy such a big spread of people got to come back and have that like strange experience and and sort of get what they wanted out of Quidditch opposed to just like the old guard you know knocking seven bells out of each other and then John knocking an eighth bell out of most of us. <laughs> yeah, I think you have to remember as well for the for some of us it's like oh no we've not been able to play for a year and a half isn't that such a long time for people now third year of uni starting third year uh trying to run clubs uh get their new freshers they played a term before everything got shut down that's very um, true yeah and so any of those people coming along like trying to get that experience trying to almost remember why you loved the sport because you've now got to spend a lot of time trying to recruit freshers putting effort into seven person trainings to try and get that team going again and we've got to remember we've all complained as community players that we've not played for however long and oh, are we going to have enough people for a second team but university teams are trying to rely on people who were did not get an entire fresher year to try and carry on clubs and if there's anything like Jurassic Cup where they're not having to organize they're not having to captain a team they can just go along as a player they have those more experienced players like helping them out and encouraging them before they then have to do all of that themselves it's such a nice like reminder of why you might love the sport so I think it was great for that as well not just the brand new new people who maybe clubs have picked up over the lockdown but those people who are now going to have to take on a lot of responsibility after not really getting to be new themselves having one that was just a bit um responsibility off their shoulders kind of thing and I, I thought as well I don't know how you two felt about it like I genuinely thought the atmosphere was like really positive for the most part um, I realise when I play I'm a genuinely horrible person <laughs> <laughs> you know how I know that uh, it's because the woman at the food counter uh, told me <laughs> straight up like, you, seem, you seem so nice and polite and I've watched you play and you're you know, a word that I'm not going to say on a podcast uh, Mikey Orridge might be listening to. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, but I do think like, apart from the occasional uh, interesting interpretation of the referee's rules, like there was the right level of chippiness. Like obviously there's people going at each other and it gets, you know, a bit heated. And, you know, that, that happens in all sport. But I think it was a really, you know, good competitive level. And there was no, there wasn't like any outrageous fouls 
or you know any anything to sour the mood like people don't like losing that's fine people are going to be sad about losing that's also fine but i did feel like once people had you know had their moment they were back in the crowd you know cheering people on and having a laugh on pitch like that's why we play right it's supposed to be a bit of fun and like even if you're laughing at stuff that isn't that funny in the moment with your teammates i just think going back to that atmosphere before you know raptors wolves lqc unspeakables et al have to take it really seriously knocking each other out i think that was just quite a nice tournament you know jurassic was a good time to play against each other and try but you know you could still have a bit of a relax and a good time yeah exactly the all kind of the, the vibes you want out of a quidditch tournament i really agree with alice's point there about all these players from the university teams coming along to play um, and kind of, yeah, how tricky next season may be for them. But being able to play with these top-level players again, which, as I said, hasn't really happened too much in recent fancy tournaments, um, and to be able to play alongside them, play against them, and hopefully learn from them, and overall hopefully realise that although the community is quite big these days compared to what it used to be, like there's plenty of top-level players who are happy enough to share advice mm. the game and I don't know how to run your club or how to run a training session. And these people are, well, I'd like to think they're open to helping out these university teams. A hundred percent. I think that was something that was, um, was nice, was you saw people chatting to, like, not just talk about how it was locked down or it's exactly the same but you saw people chatting quidditch um which i seems like a really s- silly thing for me to say but there was a really long time especially in lockdown where i, I felt like there were so few people who actually wanted to talk about you know quidditch apart from missing playing like the tactics the meta what's happening in america what's the future looking like for each team and then you went to jurassic and like everyone's asking how each other's team's doing they're asking how to get better you know what can i do to do this oh who do you think's gonna make you know team england who's the person to watch out for and that was just such a cool um like atmosphere to come back to like i i love you know me and james standing garden can talk about quidditch till you know we probably died um but it was just nice to have like a big crowd of people to all just chat quidditch about which i think is something that a lot of people might not have realised they missed doing so much. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're, we're definitely here for that <laughs> on uh, the TTP. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what we're all about. Um, speaking of um, talking about Quidditch and talking about, obviously, we've had the new rules come in, the new IQA rulebook, and then obviously we had the tournament-specific rules at Jurassic Cup. What do we make of sort of Quidditch gameplay as it stands now. What do we like? What don't we like? What do you think, Alice? Any thoughts? So I think the biggest change that's that's sticking around for the UK rules um, is the wide hoops um, and touching it at the middle hoop. Uh, we saw it happen at Jurassic and it's obviously going to be at the first community fixture. It, it means what beaters specifically can do on offence is, is much more varied. Um, like, Playing a 2-2 is really hard to crack. Um, like playing against a 2-2 is really hard to crack. Uh, but if you can, and, and mostly because if you beat a chaser, even if they dismount to turn around like and tap back in, if you throw a quaffle at them, you're probably just going to hit them in the head. Like they're still in the way, even though they're not, you know, on broom or whatever. So I think what you can do to open up the sides is really, really interesting. I think Jurassic, no one had really, not no one had really thought about it, but no one had really been practicing it to the point where we saw that happen. Like everyone was just doing what they remembered doing a year and a half ago. I don't think any teams really utilized that in a a meaningful or obvious way. Like I don't remember teams, correct me if I'm wrong, either of you two, if any team like had managed to crack that necessarily. Um, but I know that club teams will be doing it like taking out that person on the side and get, getting that shot in or getting that drive in, um, and meaning the beaters can't just, just camp as easily um, on the, the sides as well. Yeah, I think for me, I was really happy with the, you know, amendments Jurassic Cup had uh, building on QUK's one. I just think we tightened up 
a few bits that maybe people hadn't thought about. Um, I, I've like had a real epiphany uh, with Quidditch in lockdown. Uh, I was talking to Alice about this and a few of the Team England people about this. Like, I, I've just completely turned my back on boring, attritional, like static cold Quidditch now. Like, I'm I'm so so bored of it. It is unbelievable. And I realise, like, I've I've got definitely at least a few good seasons worth of medals from being quite good at playing cold, boring, attritional Quidditch. <laughs> but, like, with the new rules, I'm all about, like, run and gun, take the risk, roll the dice, let's see what we can do. I'm so worried that with, like, the, the hoop spacing, people are going to see that as just like playing even more of a boring defense. And I'm like, I, I don't want to do that. I, I want risk. Um, and I think it will be interesting to see which clubs are willing to take the risk um, and sort of play outside what becomes the, the UK slash European meta. Because when it's like a 50-40 game and no one's really that bothered about scoring, playing like the boring game is fine. But I think when someone's chasing a win, that's going to be really exciting, especially with the new end game, um, to see what offences um, come out of this. Because they've just got like even more space and time to play with now with the wider hoops and the middle hoop tapping and like all of, the, all of that good stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm really hoping for like not even innovation, it's not innovation. I'm just hoping that, you know, basically beaters are just more willing to throw the bludger and quaffle players are more willing to, you know, make the pass that isn't 100% on. Um, and that's what I'm really hoping to see. Like, we didn't see anything crazy at Jurassic. Uh, but I, I maybe think after fixture one, uh, we'll, we'll see some people, you know, observing what the new defensive meta is because everyone's functionally going to play the same defence. And like, what, what exciting offences that, that forces to happen. Yeah, I definitely agree with a lot of that. Um, I think overall, just from what we saw at Jurassic, um, the game has become a lot more dynamic, especially in the UK. We've always been very defence orientated and having sort of well-organised structure there. But now with the new rules, that a wider space than the central hoop tapping, all of that, it means that you can't just rely on being good defenders like you've got to be able to adapt to where the ball's going on offense you've got to be able to move out to the wings and out to the back and yeah you've, you've got to really evolve your game and I think it's just going to make us better overall players um but also what I really liked about Jurassic Cup um which I think well obviously it's not in the IQA rule book but having that 25 minutes um gameplay i thought was really interesting because what yes. ended up happening was like it's a bit like basketball where like with the way the teams were set out one team would go and score like three or four goals and kind of get on a run and then the other team might call a timeout and make make some adjustments and then, and then they go on a three or four goal run and it's sort of back and forth back and forth like that which we don't really don't really have with sort of the 18 minute period about the, the about the seekers in play yeah it was literally the reason the 25 minute uh, seek floor was done is because i needed to give people their money's worth of the team dropping out so i was like yeah. I'll, I'll back on five minutes to each game and that's functionally an extra game um but i think it was so much better like the game seemed longer but didn't seem to drag you're 100 right like there was momentum in games it forced you a bit more to cycle subs and it, i'd before anyone in the comments is like, well, it's only an extra seven minutes. It's like, yeah, but you've also got like the two minutes before the snitch comes on, which is everyone going into like either the absolute go slow to keep bludger control or the like absolute mad lad. Let's chuck it at the wall and see what sticks. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it felt so much more like a game because um, you've actually got 25 minutes of of actual decent Quidditch opposed to like at most 17 minutes of decent Quidditch. So yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping it's a rule people look at going forward. I think USQ is, is sort of doing uh, the opposite with some of their new rules that they've announced. Um, 
but you know that's a conversation for another day but if if Quidditch in the UK and Europe can push towards a, a longer game limit with a bit more you know open play I think that that can only be good for for everyone who's playing I think the uh, the other bit I'd add, Jay, this is going back to you talking about people going ham, um, is that there's extra pressure to do that with the with the new snitch on pitch rules. Um, previously, as a seeker, as a seeker, as a beater, if your team is thirty up, you're having to play this weird in between game if you don't want to do overtime of switching between beating the seeker and beating on quaffle, making decisions on offense defense, basically flip flopping between the two as your chasers yell at you one thing and your seeker yells at you another. Um, but you just don't have to care really about the seekers at this point because it puts you on a tie score with 40. Um, so it puts you on a tied score and then you've got to get the extra points. But if you just stay on the quaffle, you're more likely to be getting those hoops anyway. Um, and previously it was like a risk. Or oh, do we try and catch, but maybe let them get back into range? Oh, no, that's, you know, it's difficult. And obviously if, you were, if you're in snitch range, you know, players the same. Um, but as soon as a team is 40 down, um, it's that team really, really has to push hard. You're not trying to just score one more and catch for overtime because of the set score. As the team that's up, you can just ignore it way more. You don't have to be a cagey about being 40 up and go, oh, if they score one more, we're back into overtime range. Let's play hold the ball. You can, as the offensive team with your beaters still in the quaffle game, go a bit more, go a bit more wild trying to get those hoops. And similarly, as the team that's down, you really have to do more to get back into it because um, you you don't have your beaters and they're you know making the decision to be on the snitch because if the other team catches they just win. Um, so it's I think it's a tricky one and maybe you bring your beaters back into the quaffle game and just hope that your seeker will get there. I think there's some really interesting decisions to be made there. But the the offensive team can really push a the, the team that's up can really push a um, push a lead. I think by by going a bit more ham without having to suddenly turn cagey. Yeah, that's true. I think as well, like there was, it was the, when my team played at Jurassic versus Fraser, like we were down about a million. Um, and there was the conversation of like, oh, should we catch the snitch or leave it? And it's like, well, yeah, why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we just catch the snitch and see what happens? And even though Fraser's team was up a million, that like set score scenario where, where Fraser, I think Fraser's team needed three. And my team needed 15. <laughs> more than that. And like, there was no doubt that Fraser's team was going to absolutely cream us. But like, we got two. And then it was like, oh, like, oh, a bit of excitement. Like, oh, the set score. And I just think it's really fun for the narrative of the game. Like, the fact that there can be a, a winning goal now, as well as a winning snitch catch, is something that's really cool. Because you got it so often where like, you know, Raptors are 180 up. I've put an absolute shift in. And then Callum, you know, prances on and, and pulls a yellow sock off. And everyone's like, oh, Callum, you're the greatest thing ever. And then now, with the set score, the beaters are going to get some recognition if it goes past the snitch. The chasers, you know, have to play, especially in a tight game, arguably their, their best Quidditch. And I think that's just really exciting from a, from a spectator view um, as well, that the end game isn't just oh, they've caught it to win, they've caught it to lose, or they've accidentally caught it and absolutely shafted themselves. Yeah, definitely. Like, as, as Alice was saying, like, there's so many interesting decisions that go around, like, like snitch on pitch play now. Like, kind of what we did previously, it was very clear, like, what you did when you were out of range, what you did when you were in range. And, like, that was pretty set in stone. Whereas now it's kind of a case of, say you're the team that's down, you're sort of going, oh, well, if we do catch the snitch, like, are we going to have enough in the quaffle game to still win, win the game? Or do we wait a few more goals before catching it and then just guarantee, guarantee the win outright? And just like little choices like that are just going to make the game much more interesting as a whole. A hundred percent. Like, I was quite interested to see how the new brooms up worked because i think when it was announced I, I was certainly quite critical of it a lot of people were i don't think it hadn't been play test or anything like that and a lot of us went this could be ridiculous and then actually it worked i think it's worked very well to be honest um oh. very little instant out, out of it at all i think people got really hung up on brooms up and it's something like myself and james planning garden always like tried to say was like it's one 
play for 10 seconds, maybe less than that, maybe five seconds. Like it ultimately doesn't matter as long as all the balls are in play and it's somewhat even. And like, I was pretty ambivalent to the new brooms up. Like if it's safer, like fantastic, great. Um, but I think it worked really well. Like as a spectator thing, um, it was absolutely fine. From a filming point of view, it's pretty easy to get the angles. You can still get, you know, the brooms up shot. Um, one of the issues I do think is how easy it is to score on brooms up if you've got pace and very little else. Um, like if you can put your fastest chaser and your next fastest player on to get that bludger um, behind them, you're basically guaranteed the goal because the defense having to cover that that space um, to mark that furthest hoop is so hard, especially because the person who's picked up the quaffle can can hit full tilt um, and decide where they're going to go. Um, you know, the, the counter argument for that is like, oh, we'll just, you know, have someone to cut the angle or put your best tackler as the person on brooms up, which is like such a such a nothing response to that. Um, I think if you've got someone who, who can literally, you know, run in a straight or angled line very well, they're probably going to get the goal on brooms up um, every single time. So I'm interested to see uh, from that perspective how people play, because you can you can basically guarantee yourself a free goal. I know like werewolves can chuck like Callum or Alex Harrison there. Like Alex Harrison was was absolutely immense on brooms up um, across that tournament. And basically get yourself one up um, from the off. So I'm interested to see how people adjust to that. But apart from that, like it's just fine, isn't it? It's not it's not anything incredible, and it's not absolutely dreadful. Like it does what we need it to do, which is get all the balls in play. Um, so yeah, I was all right with it. The other thing I like about it is it removes the nonsense of like beaters line up against bludgers and then someone moves and then someone else is like oh I want to run against <laughs> you so then they move and the ref says all oh, brooms down and then you have the who gets to move last kind of faff that never really had a rule about it and it just gets rid of that which was just kind of nonsense you have two of you are running against a bludger the other teams are running you know one person against a bludger done you just don't have any of that nonsense moving about stuff so I liked it for that yeah get rid of that awkward tango <laughs> that beaters yeah. used to do yeah, so overall, I'd say pretty positive in terms of the new rules and hopefully improving gameplay as a whole. Uh, now, looking to the weekend, we have the first community fixture in the UK, um, kind of coming up to like a new competitive structure for the community teams. Uh, we've got two divisions playing. We've got Division 2 with the East Midlands Vipers, uh, Kelpies. Uh, South Sea Quidditch and West Country Rebels. Three of those are brand new teams, which is really exciting. And then Division One, all the usual suspects uh, with London Quidditch Club A, London Unspeakables, Olympians, Velociraptors, and Wales of London. So I guess initially talking about the idea of the new structure and kind of what the, the unique community split that's finally happened. What do we think about it as a whole? Um, I think the split is definitely for the benefit of the game. Um, like the the way the way I always tried to look at it was could the worst line you could put out on like a top eight team uh, still give a uni team a run for their money? And the answer has been yes for like a long time. Like especially the big four, the big four's worst line would absolutely cream a university team. And there's just no point university teams turning up to events that community teams are at, like trying to play for fifth. Um, so I think the university team's fantastic. Also, like, I'm, I'm not even here, but like I'm old. James is like basically dead. You know, like 18-year-olds don't want to play against actual grown adults who have no interest in talking to them, right? They want to be with people their age they play, they go out to jesters and pretend it's a fantastic time. And then people like me and James can go to a pub and then have a delicious hot chocolate and like call it a day. Like I think I think for the social good of the game, it's good as well as like the competitive game. Um, so I, I'm really glad the decisions 
finally been made to split um, Common University, I think both sides are going to enjoy the game a hell of a lot more. Yeah, 100% agree. And I think just also being able to be at each other's tournaments, like the problem we've had before is, you know, big, big, uh, you know, the big four teams say, you've got people going who someone's captaining, someone's coaching, they don't want to volunteer. A couple of other people on your team are going to be some of the top head refs for the tournament. So they've got loads to do. People just aren't watching the uni teams or being able to help them out. Obviously, there's always been a high turnout for Dev Cup, people going along and helping, but there are people who are keen and like Doug's a great example of this. Um, he went on to South Sea, uh, the, the, the South Coast Cup to like help teams out. But more people, I know more people who want to do that, but just haven't been able to because they're playing and have been like, I just don't have that extra capacity on that weekend to do that. So having the community and, and university on different weekends means that people can go along and, and support and help coach and give that knowledge back if they want to listen to us. Um, but but be a lot, be able to go along and support without having a million other things to do. Um, but yeah, I think the split is great. And and yeah, being able to actually win tournaments as a university team, like we obviously got the benefit of doing that. We were, when we were at uni, those were the top teams. Um, maybe not banger, but. Um, <laughs> got fired. <laughs> yeah. me, I'll have you know, I won chips and gravy cup in my cap. <laughs> and that, that sits proudly next to all the other trophies. So you, you watch yourself, Walker. Um, but yeah, there's the it's a great a great way to fall in love with the sport and repeatedly like yeah fighting for fifth is is just not a you know you're not getting that 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 limelight or that that feeling of you know your hard work paying off because you it's never going to pay off when you have the turnover that you have as a uni team so i think it's great yeah definitely um i was one of the volunteers who got to go to I think odyssey cup the olympians ran in the 2019-2020 season I think that was kind of a snapshot of what like some of these fixtures could be like where you have experienced players turning up from several different clubs and coaching sort of university teams or giving tips people like myself who have the time to like referee for a full day things like that so it's it's going to make university quidditch better and that's kind of the most important thing in terms of keeping UK quidditch at least going like having a thriving university culture for the sport and having new players come through that way. And also for the club, the club, the community teams, like every game is meaningful now. Every game really matters. Like, as we'll know from playing with Raptors, like going to Northern Cup was a bit of a formality in many ways, sort of having several pretty easy games. And then I know maybe the semi final, the final actually being a challenge. Whereas now, every single I mean, like, on Saturday, we've got, like, we're playing LQC at 9am in the morning. Like, that's a, it's a big first game to start a tournament with. Um, and I think it's just really exciting because overall, the more games we play where we're being tested and we're having to think about how we play, um, and obviously physically being demanded as well, it's just going to make all of us better players and, yeah, just a stronger, stronger country. So actually looking at the weekend um let's let's look at division two first so as you said we got the vipers kelpies south sea and the the rebels and uh, so looking at these teams and kind of what what we're we expecting out of these four and kind of what tentative predictions do we have um i think something that is like makes Division 2 much more interesting than, well, not much more interesting, but mildly interesting in a different way uh, to Division 1, is, like, a lot of these Division 2 teams look like their proper rosters, like their proper squads. Like, I'm sure we'll get onto it, but if you look, most of the Div 1 teams, uh, it's not their their A-list. Um, whereas looking at the Division 2 teams, like, it, I, I can't see off the top of my head um, any like glaring names that are missing, um, which is good because it'll actually give us like a, a half decent snapshot of what these teams look like. I can already see the Division One excuses of we didn't have our proper line, um, which I already don't care about. Um, but <laughs> like, it will be cool to see how these Div Two teams match up, and if anyone does take a decent game off each other, like that's going to be a true reflection of their Quidditch because the Div Two teams don't have history. Um, to like use as an excuse like 
if werewolves beat raptors, I can say, oh yeah, but X, Y, Z in the past. Whereas like if, if West Country Rebels take one off Vipers, then that's just how it is and vice versa. So I think seeing these teams at, at full strength and like how they've approached the game, because I've never seen Kelpies do anything, I don't think. I don't even think I've seen a video of them train. So like what they look like is going to be really exciting. So I'm hoping to get a, a decent snapshot of what like tier two Quidditch looks like uh, from the Saturday's fixtures. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting, like having a look. All of these teams have people who've played a lot. You know, that it's none of these teams are um, people who've j- just started setting something up or played a year at uni and then graduated. I mean, there will be people on those teams, but every team has someone, you know, who's who's played for a long time. And it'll be interesting. Um, often the lower tier Quidditch when back in uni was just no tactics, throw a ball, that kind of thing. And we should see these teams be implementing tactics because people on those teams have played on teams that have done tactics or there are people who are already thinking about that. You know, um, the Kelpies have a lot of people who are probably going to be on what Team Scotland looks like, that sort of thing. So I think it'll be exciting seeing not just, uh, as as Jay said, the, the teams in what form they're going to probably end up looking like, but actually seeing them, um, it, it's it's going to be, I think, going to be tactical Quidditch still rather than just who can pass the ball better. Um hopefully um and you know i think that division one will often be who can pass a ball better um <laughs> the notable thing for division two is the largest roster size is 16 um and the others are 15 14 13 um those teams obviously only have three games in the day rather than four but it could still come down especially when people haven't really done tournaments yet um to just legs um so i hope i hope it wouldn't descend into that where teams are just you know absolutely gassed and it's who's got the most legs left on the team um but there is a chance of that i think yeah true uh it's going to be interesting to kind of see how sort of certain players on these teams are going to stand out um because you've got players who've obviously played for quite a while um but they're not kind of well they're not because they're not part of one of these division one teams they can really stand out and make an impact on the game which i think will be exciting to see which players really kind of take a game by the scruff of its neck and yeah kind of show what they can do um as i said we've talked about about the kelpies i think they look quite exciting it's a lot of former edinburgh players um their female chase lineup looks especially strong got people like katie lawrence jandles humphrey i thought was fantastic at jurassic cup um caroline bruns as well um yeah some superb talent there and i think they'll be pushing to try and win on Saturday and then also looking at Southsea I think them they, they seem to have kept up a lot of training throughout lockdown sort of small sessions here or there um added a few players uh from the surrounding area I think that um Sam Spencer from Southampton will be uh, an interesting acquisition for them um kind of getting I think he was on X-Ban before uh Covid hit and we interesting to see what kind of impact he can have on that team yeah I'm, I'm really excited for South Sea to sort of show off is the wrong word but they've obviously been playing already they're the one team in that group that's the um established team and they've had you know really good games against Mammoth before they've had really good games again you know they've been trying to push push through in the um community sort of games before and did well against you know university teams and i really want to see south uh, south sea bring their you know their a game and show the other three teams that they have been practicing more they are a more established team and 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 i'd like to see south sea you know top that group mostly for being like you know showing the others what they can do and if i think if they take the foot off the gas then it would be a disappointment for them because i think they can start really strong and send a really strong message to the other teams um and it would really set them up for the season um yeah mm. well i think it'd be interesting about just looking at the west country rebels roster right now um you obviously got a lot of players who've played before together i guess it's kind of the bournemouth core and like there's a few extra players and there, a few farmer players so there's gonna be some familiar familiarity for a team that's pretty new um and then on top of that you've got alex carpenter who's uh joining them as well uh, international standard beta uh, and seeker 
and I'd like to see kind of what Alex can add to that team. Um, shout out to Dan Moore as well. He was on my uh, uh, Jurassic Cup team. I think uh, he played a good tournament with us and uh, I'd like to see how he fares on this team. Mm-hmm. So, gun, guns to the head. How do we think this Division Two is going to shake out? Sort of, who, who's going who's going to top it? Come on, head coach. <laughs> Alice, this is your first time. Where you have to think of a reason not to give an opinion. Um, <laughs> you'll get used to these, where you have to try and say absolutely nothing and show no bias, but sort of like hash out a half-hearted um, reason. It's good fun, so I'll, I'll let I'll let Alex. <laughs> so I'll do I'll do the politician answer. That's that's what we all really want. Which is, yeah. I think, I think as I said, Southsea have got that established team. Sam Spencer's a great addition for them, um, but they don't have that that standout beta pillar. You look at West Country Rebels, and they're gonna have Carpenter and Baker beating together. You know, and and I think um, Southsea have. I wasn't there, but I've been told uh, at South Coast Cup weren't fantastic at using their female players. And I think other teams like if, if Kelpies do that and that's something that they're doing really well, they're essentially playing with an extra person on pitch, you know, if they're using their female chasers. So I think Southie are probably in the best position, have probably, as you said, been doing more training. I think it's theirs to lose. Um, but I think, you know, Kelpies utilising their whole squad um, or West Country Rebels, just if Carpenter and Baker do big minutes in that game and tear it up, uh, could take it from them so I think I think it's South Seas to lose but I wouldn't I, I think it'll be close between those three I, I'm predicting Vipers to be I think bottom bottom of the pack um, for me I'd quite like West Country Rebels to do quite well personally um, I reckon if they play the A team for like huge minutes they could probably top the group um, I don't know if they will because I I I think, you know, their club mantra is more about, you know, having a good time and, and showing the old ticker rather than winning. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of people will have their money on South Sea going into this, like especially after their performance at um, South Coast Cup. Um, but I do think, like, it's hard to predict because we've not seen these teams play before. Like, Kelpies on paper, I go, yeah, they look really decent. They could turn up and be absolutely shocking. And that's not a slight against Kelpies. That's just, un unless you've got, you know, Augie Monroe on your team and all that Rachel Hill's there too. It's really hard to make a prediction based on paper. Um, but, you know, that's what the first fixture is for. That's why this one doesn't matter. This is a free play, right? Um, which I think is, is what's going to make it most exciting because no one really can predict what will happen with any certainty. I think on that, people, as you said, with the excuses before, any of those teams could come out of it, you know, second and go, yeah, but we played everyone. Or, yeah. you know, yeah, but we weren't obviously going to win. But yeah, our plan was to make sure everyone got minutes and not to come away top because it didn't matter. Um, so it, it will also depend on how the mantras of different teams line up. And whether they stick to them. Yeah, that's very true. And I think, as Jay said, it's kind of as it, it's a free hit. So, yeah, at the end of the day, like if you win, lose, whatever, it's not really going to matter too much. So maybe that might see players kind of play with a bit more confidence. Maybe try things that they wouldn't normally do, sort of test test the boundaries a little bit because it's just kind of a a shot in the dark. Um, I think. I'm going to slightly tip the Kelpies here, just kind of looking through the names they have at their disposal. Um, and you've got someone like Kieran Newton in at Seeker, who is at that level um, where he can decide games if they are that close, which I think a lot of games will be close. Um, and I think he might just be the difference between them winning a game and losing a game. Um, so we're going to move on to the first division, now Division 1, which is, as we said, the usual suspects of the big four, as we, I guess we're calling them now, um, LQC, A, London Speakables, uh, Velociraps QC, Werewolves London, and then Olympians QC. It's kind of the fifth team in there, but certainly not certainly not out of their depth. I think, I think they can certainly cause these four teams some issues. So kind of what we, what's the lay of the land here? Kind of which players should we be looking out for? 
how do we see this going down on Saturday? If you look at all the rosters, I think you can see that like everyone's missing big, impactful players. Like the Unspeakables lineup, with with all the respect to the people playing, is not the Unspeakables lineup at all. Like they they appear to be missing quite a few players. Maybe transfers have happened um, that I don't know about. But like Werewolves are missing lots of key players. Raptors are missing, you know, young upstart Jay Holmes. Um, and I think like LQC, like there's no Malpass or Karina, or I don't, I'm not too sure if Yak's going either. So like th- this is a fixture for me that will be rife with excuses for everyone who doesn't win. But the team that does win can say, well, we, you know, shall act you all with our weaker team. Um, and I also think Olympians going into this are eyeing up some of those teams going like, this is a great time to make a statement. Like if Olympians can come in and beat a, a weakened, any of those four, um, then, you know, that's a statement of intent of where they're going in the future. I, I believe Olympians are probably for their usual roster, the most at strength team. If yeah. that's incorrect, I, I apologize. Um, but I think if Olympians can come out and turn someone over, um, then they can say like, well, it, it shouldn't be a big four. You know, we're still here. We might not have all of the talent, but we've certainly got some of the talent. Um, and I know looking at them, like a lot of them have been keeping fit. Mariana um, looks like an absolute monster. And I mean that with all of like the, the gratitude and kudos that comes with that. Like, yeah, it's a massive compliment. She is looking in like great shape, as are so many of the other players. And if this is weakened rosters and people not playing their usual roles, maybe that could, you know, catch people out. Um, so it's a bit of a shame that like the first big fight isn't um, everyone at full strength, but I think it's probably just what people need to get into it. Like there is a trophy on the line, right? Like we can say, oh, fixture one doesn't matter, but like you still win something for winning and everyone will definitely pull the whole, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, oh, I'm not that bothered. You know, it means nothing. That's all well and good until you're the one, you know, not getting the gold medal and the trophy. And then everyone starts to care just a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, I mean, for me at least, like, again, looking at numbers, Olympians have the lowest on 15 and the others, especially LQC Werewolves Raptors, are picking from multiple teams and have basically made a combined team. So looking at more like, you know, 18, 19, 20. Um, so, you know, again, with four games in a day, that might be Olympians downfall is just like a couple of injuries in a certain position and and that might be it. But as Jay said, like Olympians, again, from what I can see, have quite a quite a full squad. You know, they've, they've gained Ollie Barker, um, the, you know, they could take on especially looking at the uh, unspeakables having a lot more unbreakables i think unspeakables have the most sort of seconds players um on their roster um compared to the other the others um but for me as a beater um the, the thing that my eye has been drawn to is mostly just how many beaters are missing so lqc are missing karina and yak um werewolves are missing doug and senior and Anjit and kerry unspeakables don't have paula uh, Raptors are missing Gabri and Bill. You know, there's it's actually like could be wide open in the beta game, um, which is sometimes, you know, obviously games are won and lost on both sides. But I think often um, a dominating beta pair can just, you know, keep whatever good chases are on the other side in check. Um, and this might be a lot more interesting um, on that front, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think overall, what really excites me kind of as a Quidditch fan, I think everyone knows. I'm a Quidditch fan, um, as well as a player and everything else. Um, it's going to be how the new additions to these teams, like how they improve the roster. Um, so let's like say I'm looking at the LQC roster now. Uh, Mateo Barraclough and Petra Chueva coming from Southampton. Um, and kind of the way SQC have played over the years has been a little bit different to the way that Warwick have played in a lot of LQC is kind of that Warwick build in terms of the way they like to play the game. So seeing players like that who are very talented, how they fit in amongst those players. Um, obviously, you mentioned the Olympians there. Um, added Oli Barker, sort of much needed. Bit of bulk, I guess, to that team. 
Um, then Connor Climo, who's just a jack of all trades, like stick him in a headband, he's going to do a job for you. I think that's really exciting. And then I think Wells as well. There's some really interesting players in the mix here. Um, you're looking at Emanuele Alessandri, who was so, so good at Jurassic Cup. I think he was like one of the steals of the draft, like looking back at it, and the way he performed for Kerry's team in that tournament. Um, so I'm looking to see kind of what impact he has on their roster. And then with Raptors, obviously, um, got Lucy Q, but Lucy Q is going to be chasing, I believe. Um, or at least at, at some point over the weekend. Uh, sorry, the Saturday. <laughs> so interesting to see what impact she could have. Um, I, yeah, I've really liked what I've seen from her in training so far. I think uh, something for myself and Alice that will be interesting um, to look at is like, with there being less of the A-team, who steps up as a leader? Like, Jay, you stole my next line. <laughs> oh, I've, I've, done, I've done these podcasts once or twice before, Alice. Um, <laughs> but like legitimately, especially like leadership is something I have so much interest in. And for me, like not being at a Raptors fixture is going to be like really, really strange. Like there's only three of us currently who have done every fixture. So to not be there will be weird. But like seeing who steps up in Raptors, I know... You know, Dan Trick, Andrew Hull. Um, Andrew Hull literally continuing to steal my life by will probably take captaincy. Um, and like looking at the likes of LQC, I know Seb's there, but without, you know, Karina Malpass, Yakapo, other people are going to have to step up um, for that team. With Unspeakables, like uh, they've got Rudy, Monique, but like other people are going to have to step up, not as players, but also motivators for their team as leaders on pitch, as leaders off the pitch as well, you know, when the games aren't going well. Um, and, and that's something I'm really interested in because I feel like leadership in, in Quidditch in the UK is just, it's always been the same few people um, and the conveyor belt has like hit a stop. Whereas I'm hoping maybe with this fixture with Div 1 and Div 2, you know, there'll be the emergence of, you know, the next leader, in the team and the next leader uh, for the future, um, just to you know fill the gaps that that an absolute legend is leaving behind. Yeah, I think yeah, I've, I've written leadership and circled it, but no one's going to believe me. Um, <laughs> no, I think uh, it, it is really important, and it's something that I know that the werewolves, uh, like exec, have been talking about. Um, obviously, Luke and Simon as captain and coach both aren't there, but Morgan who's our seconds captain, is captaining for this tournament, um, taking that on. We're, you know, we've got other people who haven't necessarily been in leadership looking at looking at who, who are we going to turn to, and that's been a big part of what we're thinking about for the weekend. Um, so I, th I think that's really interesting um, as well, and especially on there are players that are really good players and can do what they do, but when you then ask them to, to lead, that can be a bit different, um, especially if they've not been with the team as long. So I think, I think leadership is really important, especially when the games could be wildly different to what you expect with the setups we've got we don't we don't really have expectations um we did some lq we did some london friendlies um with werewolves lqc and um unspeakables but uh, again raptors took the fullest uh, raptors um Wells took the fullest squad uh so we have like a result from that that's kind of set a little bit of a what maybe what we'd expect but the rosters look so different um and if something you know if you go 40 nil down in the first like five minutes having someone who's gonna work out how you how you change that and motivating everybody to keep going is going to be really important, not just for that game, but for the rest of the day. Um, so I, th I think it is really, really important to, to see. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to make. And like, yeah, again, looking at the, the gameplay format compared to previous seasons, as I said, like every game is going to be, well, certainly can be pretty close. And it's a case of, like you, you can't relax. Like you've got to be on it the whole time. And if I don't know your team's struggling for a little bit in a game, like are there people who are going to get overworked um, and kind of lose their rag a little bit? Um, or are there certain people who are going to step up and kind of keep the team calm and cohesive throughout? Uh, so kind of that extra, like concentration of pressure that we're not used to having. I'm, I'm interested to see how that affects different teams. Uh, 
so yet again, gun to your head. What are we saying prediction wise? Who's going to come out on top? Uh, Raptors to <laughs> fall apart. You know, they'll be broken, fragile, fragmented. They'll be looking for leadership from a from a tubby bloke with a beard. And it won't be Andrew Hull because he's too thin now. And uh, yeah, Raptors to fall off a cliff without young upstart talisman Jay Holmes. Um, joking aside, only half joking. Um, I think Raptors on paper are the one that people will probably expect to win. Um, just off the roster strength alone, in comparison to the other teams, most people probably have unspeakables at the bottom because their, their roster is is just missing. Like even just missing McCartney, and the game doesn't revolve around one player. But McCartney is such an influential player uh, for that team as well as like Geo. Um, so I reckon most people have Raptors to win, but you know with these weaker rosters. You, you you never know. Like, there's nothing. Just because, you know, people are saying, like, oh, Wales have a lot of their seconds team. Like, they're still good players, right? Just because they're not some of the best players in the UK doesn't mean they're not good players. Like, the LQC starting lineup, like, just putting Waters and Lowe on it and, like, Crofty if his hand's working by then. Like, that's still, a, like, players that are tough to handle. Um but yeah, I reckon I reckon it's probably unspeakables at the bottom, Soz, uh, Raptors at the top, Olympians fourth, and you know Wells and LQC can do their little London tête-à-tête and, and deal with each other second and third. Mm-hmm. Very popular choice, I imagine. <laughs> I I'm always gonna this is probably something I picked up for Luke, but gotta back back my team. I put Wells at the top. I think. We're missing all the people who were male players on the first when Alex got engaged because it's a stag do. Um, so, but what that does mean is obviously we have seconds players, but we also have international transfers. So our very international line of Chris repping Canada, Emma repping Italy, Florin repping Germany, and you throw Michal in there repping Poland. You know, we've got quite, you know, we, we can um, run some really fantastic players out. Um, and again, I think it'll be as diplomatic and cheesy as it sounds but what what teams decide to do like if teams go into it being like this is the one game we have to win you know with our roster of 20 basically only 10 of you are going to play versus actually we're going to get everyone play time and not really mind about it um it'll also be interesting to see if people play mixed lines like we're going to try and play an even line throughout or whether people will want to get their essentially seconds teams players playing together and their first team players playing together at which point you have lines that swing wildly um, which is harder to, to deal with. But guns my head, if I have to have to give, I'd say I'd put Wells at the top because back yourself. Um <laughs> similar choices for fourth and fifth um as Jay. Um and yeah, I think um I think I'd put Raptors above LQC. Um the beating from LQC is I think just gonna be a bit weaker. You've got Brandon, Bateman and Ashara. Oh, you have Ollie Farrell as well beating. Uh, um Seb will beat, I imagine. I just think they need him, probably, chasing. But But, I suppose you'd go Route 1, Theo, Crofty, Bex, someone else. Maybe Deck. Yeah, and then if you put Seb on to beat, like, Seb's, not not to take away from those beaters, but like, Seb knows the game inside out. And I think if, and and he's done it in the past before, if he feels the difference between winning and losing is is him beating, then he's he's definitely going to do that. Happy to do it, yeah. I think without Karina, though, your choices are Meyer and Lily on the on the partner front, and it's it's just harder. Um, I think Raptors do have like Dan and Burkett, who've both been tearing it up a bit recently. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see if again, obviously Seb switching, if Lucy does any beating. I assume she's very adamantly not going to, but if Raptors could shift that by her beating if she jumps in i think you know raptors could probably take anyone with that you know so that will also make a difference there but um if she sticks to chasing then yeah wells have got 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 them <laughs> I, I Fighting think the, talk <laughs> the thing to bear in mind though isn't it is it's just a bit of fun just a game <laughs> you know we're just here for a good time with our good good pals and you know as long as as long as everyone has a lovely day, Fraser, then 
it's all fine, isn't it? You know, celebrating yeah. the departure of villain Jay Holmes. The day right after two. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm having to claw it back, Alice. This is my redemption arc where I'm gonna turn up to like Raptors fixture at EQC and be like, James, you need to calm down, mate. You're gonna make yourself ill if you carry on. Andrew, what are you shouting for? You know? I know Luke's one and is rubbing it in your face. I know he's shouting Twister's the best. Twister's the best. Just let it go. So just let it go. That, that's what I, just let it go. Roll the dice and let it go, Fraser. That's the mantra from now on, mate. Take the risk and deal with it. And the shot's always on. That's the, the shot's yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, I'm just just kind of looking through the rosters and that like I'm struggling to pick much different between all of them there's some like we've talked about lqc being a bit lightweight in the beer department but i don't think that's really stopped them in the past um i remember when seb came on to uh our podcast several episodes ago he said he's kind of made a career out of yeah sort of his ability in the quaffle game and maybe not always having the beaters kind of on par of the opposition um so that's i think lqc is still gonna be a threat We've obviously got Jonathan Purvis as well in the the Seeker game. Um, and kind of looking at the way these teams stack up, I think Seeking's going to be massively important um, at the weekend. And uh, someone like him might be the difference. Obviously, you've got Troy Kelly Weeks on Wells as well, who's yeah pretty prolific as a Seeker too. Um, on a Raptors perspective, I'm just there's a lot of players I'm really excited to play with. Like we've got kind of new additions to the club, like Chloe Hemingway has just joined us this past season, I guess. Though obviously with COVID, it's been quite a while, but uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be good to play with, with her and Sam Burkett as well. Um, obviously played pretty well um, with, with Alice winning Jurassic Cup. Um, so yeah, there's, there's some interesting names that I'm looking forward to playing with. And uh, yeah, as Jay said, it should be a lot of fun. <laughs> Awesome. We're going to wrap it up there. Um, but yeah, ju- just a little disclaimer before we finish. Um, if if you feel like we slighted your team a little bit, it's just a few people having a bit of a conversation about Quidditch. And hopefully we're all enjoying ourselves. And just, I can't, don't know if you can tell, but I'm pretty excited about the weekend. And yeah, if maybe we've been a bit critical, you can prove us wrong on Saturday. If you're upset by anything I said, I 100% mean it. Um, you, need to, you need to grow up if you're getting upset with this podcast. And you can inbox me, tweet me, Instagram me. Like, get a grip, mate. If you're upset from this, wait till you hear about world hunger. Like, it's going to you in. Oh, I, I absolutely love unhinged Jay Holmes. It's like my, fa- my favourite kind of Jay Holmes. <laughs> Um, yeah, but that's it uh, for this episode. Thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, Alice, Jay, thank you much for your time. Thank Thanks you. for having us. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, hope everyone's excited for Saturdays. It'll be great. Um, if you would like to listen to more episodes of the Tote Quidditch podcast, we're available on Spotify and Anchor. Do check us out there. And if you want to hear about more upcoming episodes, then head over to the Facebook page and give us a like because that's where all the information will be shared on who's going to be coming up on the pod. So until next time, keep yourself safe and live the game. Goodbye.